The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What's up and welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, part three and the final part of our free agency recap. We are now finally in the third wave where we start to see some of the better value signings and a couple stubborn big names that are trying to hold out for big money that may or may not be there. Yes, I'm looking at you, Jadavian Clowney. Thank you for joining us once again here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And as with all things, we have a, a very important tradition on this show. We start out with two incredibly big questions. Number one, EJ, how you feeling? Number two, what are you drinking? I am feeling just fine and incredibly fortunate to be so, especially in the current climate. But I'm um, doing great. Excited to basically get through the tail end of free agency so we can focus on the draft a little bit more solely. And what am I drinking? I am going for a Trader Joe's beer, uh, oatmeal stockyard stout, um, creamy stout, uh, 5.2 by volume, so pretty easy to drink, really dark in complexion. So I've had a couple of these, but uh, I'll definitely give you a summary at the end. What are you drinking? Hold on, a dark beer that's 5.2? Yeah. Yeah, it's very drinkable. It's one of the things I like about it is you can have a couple of these and not feel like the cat's left in your mouth. I, I didn't even know that existed, a, a dark beer that low in ABV. I'll have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, stouts are, stouts, true stouts can come in anywhere from, I would say, five to seven. And uh, this one is, again, it's um, almost like if you've ever had a black IPA or a, what they call a dark ale. Um, it has that sort of tenor to it. It's not super thick. And, uh, that's one of the reasons I like it, but what's in your glass tonight? Well, you, you can tell I'm much more of a whiskey guy than a beer guy. Uh, I'm drinking your people's water that Jameson black. Excellent. Oh, excellent. I Jameson is just so easy to drink, which is what makes it so dangerous. I mean, it's, it's got, it's, it's a little bit lower, um, in terms of bite, um, I'm not really sure what they age it in. I don't know what the difference between Black Barrel and normal Jameson is, but the overall like Jameson mash bill that they use, um, it's it's a lot sweeter. Um, I think than you know typically a lot of the scotches that I drink. You don't really get any of the the smokiness to it. Um, it's 
it doesn't really fight you as much a lot as a lot of the scotches I drink. And keep in mind, I'm an Isla guy. Like I love Lagavulin, I love Ardbeg, I love Lavroy, uh, Brooklady. Like th- those are those are all of my favorite scotches. So drinking Jameson by comparison, especially Black Barrel, is literally just drinking water. But uh, it's a it's a nice easy drinker. Goes well with kind of the nice and easy smooth topics of conversation we got. Uh, kind of wrapping up the no pun intended bottom of the barrel free agents here. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I know, but I'm I'm here all week. Uh, I do kind of want to talk about the the bargain uh, shopping that all these teams have been doing in the third wave, because there have been some very interesting and, in my opinion, very team friendly deals signed from players that probably should have gotten more money than they're worth. Um, the most interesting situation I think is worthy of talking about is deals all with the same team with three different players that I think all were good deals for them, but they can't afford to keep all of them at the same time. And because of everything that's that's happening and the kind of loopholes that it's created with how nobody's really been able to get physicals done yet, the Rams situation with Brockers, Floyd, and then Ashawn Robinson, who people forget they also signed, is interesting because they only have $5.5 in cap, and that's after the Robinson signing. So they only have $5.5 million left, and they're essentially having to choose between Michael Brockers, who they're supposedly trying to sign for three years and eight million per, and Leonard Floyd, who I believe was ten million, if I recall correctly, uh, seven with incentives to get back to ten. So seven okay. something with incentives to get back to ten, which was uh, read about, um, which is about what he was. Oh in no, I, I think you're actually right. I think it was ten, which was his ten with incentives to get back to thirteen. Yeah. 13 was his franchise number, his fifth year franchise number in Chicago. And so they signed him for 10 with the ability to get up to 13 in incentives. And it was only a one year deal. And the Brockers was supposed to go to Baltimore, which we talked about a couple episodes. We love that. Yeah, signing. we were excited. That was that was filling out their line with all kinds of power and beef. And now he's back. And now he's back, you know, because he had an ankle injury. So that that deal in Baltimore fell apart. So the Rams capitalized on that and signed him for two million per year less than he was going to get in Baltimore. Um so the, the problem here is they don't have enough money for all of them. Ashawn Robinson is probably going to stick around because he only got eight and a half and he's a really good player. He's more than worth eight and a half. That's one of the better deals. I think that they've that really any team in the, the NFC is signed. Um, so now with only five and a half million dollars, they're trying to choose between Brockers and Floyd. And I think they're going to choose Brockers because he already has rapport with everybody on that defense and with potentially limited practice time over summer, just having a guy that already knows the building, um, you know, knows how to work with all the coaches there. Like it, it just makes sense for them to try to keep him around, especially for 20% less money than he was going to get on the open market. And so now I'm thinking that technically all they have to do is just fail Floyd's physical. And then they're out of the deal, which sounds super nefarious and wrong. And I agree it is, but that's kind of all they have to do is just fail him on the physical. And that shoves Lloyd back or shoves Leonard Floyd back out on the open market. And there's some teams out there that I think really fit him that have the money to sign him on the exact same deal. I'm thinking about like Miami. And so I kind of want to get your overall sense of, of how you think this situation is going to play out if they let go of Floyd. Where do you think he's going to go? Where do you think he fits? And is this good for football that this is even possible? 
I don't like it a lot. Uh, it's definitely team-friendly that they can, um, under the old rules in the old CBA, you couldn't, you couldn't put somebody on your cap unless you cleared somebody out. You couldn't basically have more players worth more cap than you had. If you did that, you immediately had to make a, a commensurate transaction, make space for them. Right now they have three guys for basically one and a half spots because even if they were to fail Floyd on the physical, the Brockers' remaining salary doesn't fit after Ashawn Robinson. They're going to pay him $7 million. They've only got, as you said, five and a half. So they're really squeezing three guys into a slot and a half, and that's great for them while they decide, especially in current climate and not being able to do physicals, but it's not great for the players because if, as we theorize, Leonard Floyd gets kicked back out into the market in the third wave, it's great for some team out there because he was a basically a first-day signing, a talent that they thought was going to go in the first couple of days. And now he gets kicked back out into a market where a lot of teams are capped out or close. And there are some teams out there, but they basically get to pick and they can pay him almost whatever they want because he knows he has really limited options. There's not going to be a ton of true competition for his services. So for Floyd, it's a bit of a raw deal if he gets kicked loose now. Uh, What we're going to talk about is that he might end up in actually a better place with a coach that's a little bit more creative about how he gets used. He'll probably still sign the one-year deal. That's what he had anyways. But he might actually end up with a little bit more production on a defense that's kind of loaded up. And that spot is down in South Beach in Miami. They had a ton of money. They've got a creative defensive coach from the New England tree. And they've signed a bunch of other players that are going to complement Leonard Floyd. And they're going to be able to bring him in waves. And so, end all be all if he ends up there or back in New England, because we've talked about that as well. I could absolutely see the Patriots swooping in and saying, hey, you're a perfect replacement for a guy we just lost and sent to Miami. And... Again, him sort of morphing into there's a strong history of players going from the Bears to the Patriots, right, especially on defense. And he could be the next one, and I think he'd be very good in that role because he's a a solid football player. He's not a great pass rusher. But I think it's a little too team-friendly, and if it does happen that Floyd is the one that gets kicked back out into the cold, um, that's kind of a raw deal, especially since he signed kind of in good faith in the very early going of free agency, and now he's got to, you know, go basically – Oh, another road and and find another way back to a different team. We always like to talk about, you know, who's the Batman pass rusher and who's the Robin pass rusher on your team. But you kind of also need an Alfred. And Leonard Floyd is like the ultimate Alfred where it's like, okay, yeah, maybe he'll get four to five sacks, but he sets the he sets the edge against the run really well. You can drop him into coverage. He can play peel technique on running backs, you know, when they wheel out to the boundary and he's not going to get embarrassed. I think in Chicago, Batman, you could argue who was Batman and who was Robin between Hicks and Mac, but either way, they were the top two guys. And then sure. Floyd was always seen as the Alfred, but for some reason, Bears fans expected him to be another Batman. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. Like, he's a good player. Does it suck that he's not elite, even though you spent a top 10 pick on him? Yeah, I guess, but I don't really consider him a bust. He was a versatile piece, a valuable piece to that defense. When people started to get hurt and everybody expected him to step up and be that elite player, I think they just, they had uh, poor expectations for what he actually is. But like you mentioned with Miami, with Flores, where they love players that are versatile, where it's like, okay, maybe you only get 
a handful of sacks, but you're still good against the run. You do your job. We can drop you in coverage. You're not limited to only one, you know, certain package. Um, he he's a kind of fit for for that defense where they might put eleven Alfreds on the field, but they 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 all work together really well. So I'm I'm right there with you. If I was his agent, because I think his agent can kind of read the tea leaves here and, and see that they're going to get screwed, I would be almost try to angling and to go to Miami because at least you can save or at least kind of get back some money for your client because they don't have income tax there. Even if you know you're going to have to take less, uh, less of a deal, which is almost guaranteed they're going to have to take less than what they would have gotten in LA, at least get some money back by going to a team that has a lot of money that will use him properly so that he can put good tape out there for next year's free agent class. They don't have to pay income tax, which could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. That, I think, is the best scenario for all parties, or at least the second best scenario. The best scenario would be he gets to stay in L.A., but uh, unfortunately, I just don't think that's possible. So um, it, it sucks for Floyd, and it sucks that this loophole is a thing. I, I don't think anybody thought it ever would be, but unfortunately, this everything that's going on in the world has kind of uh, made new things happen that nobody really expected, and this is one of them. So, it, again, sucks for Floyd, but... I think he's going to be okay in the long run. Um, what do you think about Robbie Anderson to Carolina? Just kind of keeping with all these day th- or you know third wave guys, because I think when you look at system fit, it's kind of perfect. It depends, right? I I think Robbie Anderson was a guy we thought was borderline sort of day one, day two. He's the big speed threat um, in terms of yards per catch. That's really Robbie Anderson's calling card was with the Jets. And a lot of people, when he signed with Carolina, were immediately critical of it because they said, well, Teddy can't throw deep. Teddy doesn't have a deep arm. What are you, what are you getting a deep speed guy if he can't throw deep? Um, that sort of underrates Robbie's game. He is a great take-the-top-off guy. He is a speed threat. He's got some good size as well. But he can take slants and go the distance as well. And boy, can Teddy Bridgewater throw a slant. So thinking that it was a waste of money or a bad fit I think is a little short-sighted. It just gives Carolina another weapon, not only to use in motion and move and pull defenders where pull defenders where they want them to go, which is deep and away from stuff underneath for Christian McCaffrey or any other number of folks they can throw the ball to. So I like it in a lot of ways, and I was a little bit surprised. I didn't think that Carolina would be quite that aggressive going for targets since they were really aggressive in the quarterback sweepstakes, but they have shown Matt rule and his, his coaches have shown that they are sort of all in for this year. There is no tank for Trevor going on in Carolina. They are loading up to be a very competitive football team. And from, from that angle, I really kind of love it. I, the whole, Oh, you know, Teddy, he can't throw deep thing. Like, why are you signing Robbie Anderson? Like, I did a whole film room episode on Joe Burrow this past week. I studied that offense a lot. I I watched every single game they played. I have the all-22 of every single game, so I got to see everything. Uh, You know, I got to see how they design their routes philosophically, how they call plays situationally, how they attack defenses in certain ways. And people look at this Robbie Anderson signing as if Teddy's going to be throwing 60-yard bombs. Like, that's, that's not what Joe Brady does. I think people kind of conflate deep speed with throwing 60 yards just because a guy can run 60 yards really fast. That's not really how it works. So in this offense, they're going to be spreading you out. 
They're going to go empty a lot. They're going to be putting running backs out wide like Christian McCaffrey as, uh, you know, zone versus man indicators. If there's a linebacker that follows McCaffrey out there, they're going to know it's man. And when they throw deep, it's going to be off things like rubs. It's going to be, you know, if they get quarters looks, it's going to be double posts. So there's going to be literally nobody there. He's going to be throwing on air on some of these routes because that's how they're designed. You know, they're designed to move safeties out of the way and make it so that there is a gigantic window for Robbie Anderson to break inside on a post and use that 4-3 speed to just run to, run to the ball that Teddy lays way out in front of him. He doesn't have to be super accurate. He doesn't have to be fitting it into these crazy holes 40 yards down the field. Like, that's not what it is. You know, they're, they're going to get rub routes where he's throwing, you know, a fade 25 yards down the field, not 40. You know, they're not asking him to be Josh Allen here, like, I think people misunderstand the kind of system they're going to run because deep speed is valuable, but it's not like they're going to be running Bruce Arians kind of stuff here. Like I, I, I love the fit because the ability to run four, three is just as valuable vertically as it is horizontally. And if you get him like running on a drag, like if they're running mesh and you get him running on a drag and you pick off the corner that's trailing him and he's got the ball with 4-3 speed, like it's still going to be a 20 to 30 yard gain. So I, I love the fit. I think people dog Teddy way too much for his lack of arm strength. There's a lot of quarterbacks that don't have great arm strength, but they've done really well throughout their career. If they're smart, if they're accurate, if they throw with touch and anticipation, that's what Teddy Bridgewater is. Like Carolina's going to be fine. Panthers fans, I will give you that they handled Cam's departure horribly. I 100% understand that. Uh, And I agree with you. They did not handle it well from a PR perspective, from a, I think, building trust in the locker room perspective. But from a football perspective, Teddy Bridgewater is a great quarterback, fits the system. They have tons of weapons that fit what Teddy does well. And offensively speaking, they're going to be a lot better of a team than people think they are. Yeah, and I think, Robbie, one of the things you said there is he can use that deep speed to open those holes, right? It's not that he is always going to be that primary target or he is always going to be the guy that Teddy focuses on when he's deep downfield. His job might be to pull the corner and the safety, and he can do it, right? If he keeps an equidistant route, little inside step and goes you know, goes on a go, and they both have to go to cover him, that that's going to leave those wide windows underneath for DJ, for CMC, for all those guys. And that's going to be just as valuable in this spacing, open, tempo offense. And the LSU call-out is a great one, right? Their new offensive coordinator comes from there. And if you look at the production they got out of Jamar Chase, out of Justin Jefferson, those guys were not catching, you know, 45 yards down the field from Burrow all the time. Yes, he took his deep hole shots for sure, but the majority of that pace and production and keeping that offense on schedule was six, eight, 12 yard throws to wide windows. And Robbie's going to be a big part of creating that, whether or not he's the target. 100%. It's. It's a perfect fit. And I think Panthers fans just need to chill. Like, you can be upset about how they handled Cam, but in terms of thinking that. Robbie isn't a fit for your offense. Trust me, he's a fit for every offense. Like that kind of speed can be used in some capacity everywhere. I I, I promise you that. Um, speaking of good fits, by the way, for teams that maybe people aren't paying enough attention to, in my opinion, the defense that the Bengals are building, they just signed Von Bell 
to be their strong safety of the future next to Jesse Bates. But when I look at their overall roster that they've built on the defensive side of the ball, this whole, you know, putting up 40 points on the Bengals thing isn't going to last very long because you you got DJ Reader now next to Geno Atkins, which in my opinion is going to be one of the better defensive tackle duos in the league as long as Geno can still play, which I think he I think he can. But Reader I think is the best nose tackle in the league, so that right there I think is a, a dynamic duo. Um, you're a big Jermaine Pratt guy when he was coming out. I was a little bit lower on him as a prospect, but you loved him coming out and he's still going to be their starting Mike linebacker. So if he turns into what you think he can turn into, they got linebackers sorted. They're secondary. Uh, like I said, you got Von Bell who's a really good box safety and Bates who I think projected more as a pure free safety. So now you're leaving him in deep center field where I think he's more comfortable, uh, you got William Jackson at corner. Trey Waynes is their nickel. You still got Kirkpatrick there as their number two. Um, they signed Mackenzie Alexander also to compete in the nickel spot. Like uh, maybe they'll put Waynes as the number two and and not start Kirkpatrick and then have Mac Alexander there. Like there's there's so much talent in that secondary. They've got a really good uh, trio up the middle in Reader, Atkins, and Pratt. Like. There's there's pieces here. You can you can complain maybe about depth at edge because Carl Lawson at this point is probably their best one, maybe. Um, but man, like they're they're building something there. Yeah, I'd take Carl Lawson. So there's that. But um, it's really interesting the defensive tackle tandem you mentioned, Atkins and Reader, sort of mirrors what they're doing with safety, right? Just two levels back with Jesse Bates and now Von Bell, right? They have their they have their heavy guy. And they've got their movement guy, their speed guy, right? Bates is their speed guy. Bell's the heavy guy. He is not a great deep anything safety. He is tremendously effective around the line. He's a big hitter. He can match tight ends, uh, slower tight ends in the short zone. He's a you know huge run fill guy. He's a great blitzer. He can come off the edge, that sort of force slot. So. It's really interesting that they have the same thing up front that they have out back now. And then, yeah, there's a lot of movable pieces in the secondary. They just let, um, signed LaShawn Sims as well from Tennessee, guy from southern Utah. He came out a couple of years ago. Big. Again, he didn't really have a role. People, was like, people were like, is he a corner? Is he a safety? Well, he's a little bit of both. And he's big guy, 6'2", um, flies around. He can look at a guy like Vaughn Bell and go, that's the role I can carve out in the NFL great mentorship. So I really like the range of talent and for not investing in the scouting department, Cincinnati is famous under Mike Brown for not investing in the scouting department in the way that really 31 other teams do. They end up with a lot of talent every year they have for the last four or five years. You look at it, you look at them after the draft, you look at who they pulled, uh, you know, the values they got, where they got them. And now they're signing them in free agency as well. Um, yeah, that I think that roster is much more loaded than people would think by just e you know a looking at the helmet or b sort of looking at past performance. There's better talent than there's been results on that roster, and I think you know if if everything happens the way we think it's going to, and the guy you did the film room on, Joe Burrow, ends up there, and he should uh, leads that offense, you know talk about their offensive line it's not great they're going to need some help there probably top of the second round right away and and maybe the third round maybe the fourth round they've got some holes to fill there but if you get a good solid trigger man in joe burrow which he certainly is and you highlighted that beautifully in that film room video and 
then you've got this defense. Like you said, you're not going to roll up an easy 40 on Cincinnati. You know, you're going to, you're going to struggle to get to maybe 25. And if you think Joe Burrow can't put up 21 to 25 points and keep it close, you haven't watched his film. So Cincinnati just got a lot more interesting to watch. They really only need a couple positions, maybe three at most. Obviously they need a new right guard and a new right tackle, because there is no universe in which I want to go into a season with Xavier Sufilo and Bobby Hart as my starters on the right side of the line. Like that, that's probably the worst right side in the league comfortably. Um, and so I think that hundred percent needs to be addressed. Burrow's going to be the first overall pick. I think we can kind of, you know, write that and write that one in pen. Um, but they still need a, a new right side of the offensive line. And then they just, they need depth at edge because Carlos Dunlap, who's been a really good player for a really long time. He had a really good year last year. He's in his thirties now. And then Lawson, I think is probably their only other rotational edge that I think can sort of be uh, counted on to get, to get pressure. So they need a, a third guy there. But other than that, like the roster's pretty good to go. Uh, it, it sucks that they're in a really good division because I think they're going to lose some games that they would have won if they were in an easier division. But I don't think people are going to walk over them uh, maybe as much as, as you expect, especially if they get Joe Burrow. Like in a couple years, since he's going to be pretty damn good. Um, in terms of teams that are... They, I'm going to throw something at you because something you just said sort of stuck in my ear. Huh. So they go Burrow at the top, which they should. Absolutely. We're not going to upset the apple cart there. And then they say, you know, we really got to get a guy behind Dunlap. And they decide to do it at the top of the second. Who are you thinking? Epinesa. Ooh. I mean, almost almost the same frame. Yep. <laughs> Not that dissimilar a skill set. Uh-huh. Dunlap, I think, is a little bit bendier. Yeah, I'd say he has a little bit more burst, or had, probably doesn't have at this point, but had, certainly in his heyday, a little bit more burst, um, and a little bit more bend, but not a ton. He's somewhat similar to the big, big frame, power player, controls the edge really well, strong, strong with his hands. Um, that just, yeah, that just sort of started sounding a lot like him, and you can get good guards in the third, in the fourth, even in the fifth, right? Uh, you know, you gotta fit, gotta grab somebody that's got the skills like to fit a, your system. Lemieux, Lemieux in the third. You could get like, a Lemieux. Yeah. You could get uh, Jonah Jackson. Might slide down. Stenberg. There's a ton of guys. Uh, Stenberg's there. Stenberg would be a great fit with what they do. But there's a no, ton of guys. Their offensive line grab. coach hates him. They would never take. Him. Yeah, I know. He, <laughs> he just rode him at the Senior Bowl, but uh, in terms of fit. But there's guys that are gonna be there, and. You know, you can get guards farther on down. You don't need to take them up high. And, you know, defensive ends or edges or, you know, however you want to classify them typically are in shorter supply uh, and they go up higher. And there are guys that you can get later on that fill that role as well. But wouldn't that be interesting? I don't think it's their primary need, um, especially even up that tie. I think really they're probably going to be looking for a tackle. One of the tackles that slips that's sort of on the outside of that top five fringe. Yeah, Ezra but, or Jackson or one of those guys. Yeah, yeah Austin Jackson could be um, uh, the second Georgia guy, uh, Isaiah Wilson. Um, you know, there's a couple. Uh, Shadik Charles is making a little bit of noise moving up a little bit because he looks good and, and not good when you watch his tape. There's a bit of a duality there, but there's guys there that they might take a run at. Um, 
you know, to get a tackle because tackle again is more premium position, but eh, that just stuck in my ear. I thought it was interesting. So, yeah, I've, I, you'll never see me complain about taking an edge player high in the draft because you can honestly never have enough of them. So as long as they had a plan for addressing offensive line, even if it's like, I don't know, signing Peters or something like that, just for a one year thing, like whatever, what, as long as they have a plan for that, I'm all about it, you know? Sorry, I just had another wild hair. That's why I love doing these with you. What is Trade it? for Trent. You think you'd be on the market? Trent Williams? Oh, I had, I'm sorry, I had the other Trent in my head. No, <laughs> no, Trent Williams. <sighs> you know? What would it cost? I don't think Mike Brown would do it. I don't think he would open up the checkbook in a way that's probably going to be thing. necessary. That's That would be expensive. It would be super expensive, but, you know, come on, you're bringing in the top pick in the draft an asset you really don't want to grind into the ground like the Colts drove Andrew Luck into the turf face first yeah and he's there right he doesn't want to be where he is he's basically asking publicly now hey guys get off your hands let me go and man if Cincinnati stepped up got Trent from a different pool grabbed Burrow and Epinesa and then they were looking for a guard in the third yeah come on like, I think the one thing have, is Trent, pick. Trent had a big problem with Bruce Allen, but he likes Dan Snyder. And I assume that he likes Ron Rivera because who, who doesn't like Ron Rivera? So maybe they're banking on Ron and Dan being able to convince him to come back because Bruce yeah, is gone. He's, he's asked out. He asked out um, even after Ron arrived. He mm-hmm. made his first public statement that said, look, enough. You know, yeah. it's over. Let me go. So I just thought of that. I was like, hmm, premium tackle sitting out on the market. This desperate need for tackle to, you know, protect brand new number one asset in franchise. Uh, wouldn't that be interesting? He's a fit. He's definitely yep. a fit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints. Kind of broke a lot of Cowboys fans' hearts that uh, he ended up in New Orleans when the kind of the tea leaves were saying he was going to go to Dallas for quite a while but uh i think i think he's a perfect fit uh with the saints to kind of compliment michael thomas who spends most of his time in the slot anyway you could put sanders outside at z and i think the possibility of stacking both of them together is tantalizing to me because sanders even despite his age and despite tearing his achilles a year and a half ago he's still got some juice He's an extremely savvy route runner. He's very smart. He's got great hands. He's a great leader in the locker room. Uh, I, In terms of an older veteran receiver, there's very few that I would want on my team more than Emmanuel Sanders. I love everything about that signing. Yeah, it's a perfect shot for the Saints, right? Drew, maybe a year left, maybe two. Um, Sanders, probably about the same. I'd say two, maybe three. It's just sort of two stars aligning and saying he's still got, like you said, a lot of talent. This is not a guy on his last legs when we're talking about Sanders. Very good routes. Peyton's going to know how to use him. Stacking him with Thomas is beyond analyzing because they both know what they're doing in terms of really abusing defensive backs route-wise. That's why Thomas has had so many catches in his first couple seasons there. And he's a solid pro. He understands. He gets it. He's not super diva. He's going to be able to fit. Seems like a guy that's going to mesh very quickly with the Drew Brees because they're both all about ball. They're both all about winning. 
They know what's going on. They have a wide range of experience. Uh, I don't think the terminology is going to be a problem for a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. And again, in a season where we may not have full OTAs, we may not have a full offseason, we might not even have a full preseason, a guy that can come in, understand, and contribute very quickly, sort of get on the same page, he just adds one more piece, and New Orleans always seems to have three, four really good options in that offense, and Sanders is just another one. It just seems kind of like when the Patriots sign somebody, and we go, oh, that's so Patriots, right? This is so Saints on offense. When I heard, I wasn't even surprised. I was like, no, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> it's yeah, a Sean Payton move. Yeah, we're done here. Move on. It's they're they're gonna you know sign him and prosper at least for the upcoming season, and that's really kind of how the deal lays out. They don't know what they're gonna get out of Breeze after this season. Line him up, give him a bunch of tools, give him one more good run, and Sanders is a perfect perfect player to do that for him. I will say this because of how this off season is going to be, uh, with potentially limited workouts, bringing in a guy that is going to be able to digest a playbook with very little team interaction, um, and work with his quarterback probably remotely all off season to kind of get on the same page. Sanders is brilliant. I happen um, not to like name drop here or anything like that, but like I know his trainer, who is the same trainer that works with. Uh, just an, a huge portion of the league you get on his client list is all pro after all pro after all pro. And I asked him one time, cause he's training a few of the draft prospects coming out that I was doing work on. And I said, who is the, the hardest working receiver you've ever trained without even stuttering? He said, Emmanuel Sanders. And he worked with him extensively when he was coming off the Achilles and kind of getting him back into playing shape, which he was in like nine months. It was unreal. And he said, Emmanuel Sanders is the hardest working receiver he has ever trained, and it's not even close. And so considering this interesting and totally not normal offseason structure we're about to have, having a receiver like that be able to work with Breeze, who is has a famous work ethic himself, I can't imagine a better fit. I think they're going to be, if we have a training camp, which at this point is kind of an if, uh, day one, I think they're going to be on the same page. There's not going to have to be any sort of uh, learning curve with them, and I think that's a big reason why this signing is so good. Um, I think another signing that's interesting, I'm not sure if I'm totally on board with it in terms of fit, but it might also depend on what they do in the draft. Gurley to Atlanta, I think, can work because Gurley still has a lot of talent, but they need to have a structure around him to limit his touches and I mean severely limit his touches so that you get the best out of those eight to 10 touches a game and you do not let him cross that threshold because that's when things start to get a little bit messy. And I don't necessarily think that Atlanta has the backfield around him to to take those other 20 touches a game. If I was them, I'd probably draft another one, potentially like a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or something like that on day two, who's going to be there and who I think is a phenomenal running back. I think if this girly signing is going to work, and it's not that much money, but if it's going to work, if you're going to get the most out of him, you need to draft a young bell cow now, as in this year, and then let Gurley be the compliment. Because if you're trying to let Gurley be the bell cow, I, I, I just don't think that's going to work. No, I don't, I don't believe they see it that way. And I think you said, you know, it might determine how they operate in the draft. I think this signing almost turns the tea leaves and tells us how they're going to operate in the draft. They're going to pick a back that can take a lot of touches 
and I would say greater than 50% of the touches. Because if you're, again, asking Gurley to take more than half the load at this point, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. And I think they know that. I don't think they're... I don't think they have their head in their sa- head in the sand about that. So I would absolutely expect Atlanta to take a back. There's a lot of backs in this draft that could contribute and could contribute on day one. And you can get them in the third and the fourth. Now, again, if they see a guy that they really like and he's available, sure, go take him because he's the guy that you're going to run hard through the first contract. It's important. That's a lot of touches and and you know, a centerpiece on offense. Sure. I don't care if you pick a backup high, go for it. If, if that guy's there and, you know, say Deandre Swift doesn't go in the first round, right. And he's hanging around at the top of the second round stays in state, you know, it's going to be a huge draw for them. Very talented running back definitely is going to take more touches. And then you bring Gurley in as a sort of, you know, uh, change up. Uh, that's a great situation for him to be in. But even farther down, they could find a back that's going to take the majority of their touches and be, if not the bell cow, certainly the primary ball carrier. And that really means about 15 carries a game in the modern NFL with Gurley taking more like five or seven over the course of the season. That's going to work out for him. If they come in and say, look, we've got about 20, 22 rushes a game. We're going to give Gurley 11 and the other guy 11. I think you're you're flirting with it at that point because when Gurley's healthy, he's a difference maker. But health has been the thing with him, and load has been you know the thing to trigger it. So I think they know that they sign him for what I would call reasonable money. Certainly, you know comparatively to what he was going to make in L.A. and if they use him correctly, man, he can bring a lot of pop to an offense because if he's healthy, he's a difference maker. He's still a very talented running back. Yeah, you're you're not signing him to take 10 carries in the first half of an October game. You're signing him to take 10 carries in the fourth quarter of a December game that decides the division. That's that's really what it is. And and so as long as they can draft somebody who can take, you know, the, all the the punishment in October and he's ready to roll in December, I think they'll get value there. Um this next one I know you're you're severely crushed about, so I regret having to bring it up because I know you really wanted Pierre Desir to be in Chicago, but the Jets snagged him, probably their best signing they've made so far this year. Um, what do you like about Desir? How do you think he fits there? And what would you have liked him to be if he was a Bear? Yeah, Desir, it's about size and about how he came into the league. And how he continued to work. He was not an overnight success. Uh, Lower round draft pick. Came into a lot of hype. Great physical frame. Good skills. Um, Came in in the same year as Stanley Jean Baptiste, right, from Nebraska, who was the the next sort of great hope. We don't speak that name here, EJ. Oh, SJB? (laughs) You got burned on SJB, did you? A lot of people got burned on SJB. (laughs) I, I loved his frame and I watched his game and I went oh the frame is great the game is not and Pierre Desir I thought the opposite came from a small school uh, always hard to sort of call that transition from small school to the top level of competition on the planet and he struggled for a couple of years he bounced around he was available every time he was available I hoped he'd end up in Chicago um, you know didn't didn't get there didn't stick and then the light came on third, fourth year, third, fourth stop, right? He started playing very solid corner and he's got a great frame. 
He's now caught up to the speed of the game. He understands. He's a seasoned pro at this point. He's been fairly healthy. And he just provides you great physical outside leverage one-on-one versus big receivers. And, you know, in the NFC North, that's something you can really use. And with Prince Mukamara moving on, this year was a guy I thought could come in and take a lot of snaps at a high level as a starting number two. And paired with Kyle Fuller, I thought he was a really nice compliment. The thing I was hoping was that he was holding out for big money. And, you know, the Bears are up against the cap. They don't have a ton of cap space. So if he was going to sign for eight, nine, ten million, which I think he could have gotten just because the cap goes up. Yeah, I would have been fine with just passing and saying, hey, too rich for too rich for the Bears blood. No big deal. But he signed for like five million. Yeah, it was and, cheap. and for that, it makes me really sorry. Yeah, it crushes my heart a little bit that he's not in Navy and Orange. I think the Jets fans will really like him. Uh, he's a hardworking player. He's smart. He is not ego-driven by any stretch. And he's pretty darn effective. He's had some good seasons and strung them together. So, uh, you know, good for the Jets for getting him. Uh, I'm sure the Bears had the reason for not going out and paying him that. Or maybe they weren't in the market. Don't know. But he had a chance to be a starter in Chicago and just walk right in. He'll probably have the same chance uh, with the Jets. But... In terms of which team, which defense I would rather join, I think I'm probably going to lean towards the Bears there. So <laughs> good for the Jets. He gets to play with a great young safety. That's awesome. Um, you know, I hope he does well. He's just a player I've followed since the draft, so I really root for him wherever he goes. But, boy, it would have been fun if he lined up this year in Chicago. And, by the way, for those listening, do not do, don't confuse this signing with them potentially not still being in on a corner in the first round, potentially after a trade down. If a tackle isn't there, people have always kind of seen uh, Henderson out of Florida as like their default backup plan. Um, I I think that's still on the table, even after the Desir signing, because their number two corner right now on paper is Brian Poole, who is really more of a nickel. So they still don't really have anybody else that can play outside. They desperately needed Desir, but they still need another one. So, I, I don't necessarily think uh, they're they're out of the Henderson sweepstakes. So just if you're doing your mock drafts, keep that in mind. This signing doesn't change that much uh, in in the grand scheme of things. Um, keeping yeah, with if you the, spend five million on a corner these days, it doesn't really yeah it doesn't mean anything. you from doing anything, <laughs> right? It's just another corner on your roster. So yeah, I think it, he'll outplay his contract. It means you're it. slightly less desperate than you were two days ago. But that's exactly right. Yeah. Keeping it with the AFC East, uh, there's a very underrated signing that not a whole lot of people are talking about, but it makes a ton of sense uh, because he he plays a lot like a Patriot as is in terms of positional versatility, and that's Adrian Phillips to the Patriots. Um, When I think of Adrian Phillips, I think back to the playoff game that the Chargers played against the Ravens a couple years ago where he, he played Mike Linebacker literally the whole game. Uh, they were playing dime. They were playing dollar. They had six and seven DBs on the field the entire game to stop that run game. He was at Mike linebacker um, against heavier packages. He would play strong. He would play apex. He, he was kind of used all over the field. Uh, but I, I think he, he plays a lot, a lot like a Patriot in that way where he can kind of be a linebacker. He can kind of be a safety. You just put him somewhere within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and he's going to do work for you. What do you think about Phillips of the Patriots? I think it's such a Patriots move. Uh, when you think about him, you think about him as a guy that just eventually going to end up in New England. I thought it might take a little bit longer 
but super versatile, heavy. He reminds me a lot of Patrick Chung, right? He's going to be the next sort of Patrick Chung. And it's 5'11", 209, came from Texas, already has an all-pro under his belt, a pro bowl. You know, he'd been with the Chargers the whole time. Like you said, versatile, heavy, can sort of back the middle in those uh, dime, nickel, spread packages. Very smart safety, so you, you have to be to play in Bill Belichick's defense. Just seems like he checks all the boxes. Versatility, toughness, smarts, um, demonstrated productions. Just And very few people are talking about Phillips to New England, and I'm like, why not? This is going to be the guy that's going to be a linchpin who's had a ton of success that the Patriots always seem to go out, snag this guy again, second wave, almost third wave guy, didn't make any kind of press, almost no ink. And he's going to make an impact in the AFC East for the next two or three years, for sure. I wouldn't wouldn't even doubt if he doesn't get re-signed by the Patriots after this because they're going to love him. And you know how much he signed for a year? Don't. Three million. I know. All pro. Three million. All pro, right? You got an all pro and he goes to, it's just the rich getting richer uh, or keeping their riches or however that works, but... No, Phillips to New England is just it. It's a lot like Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints on offense. Phillips to New England on defense, we could say all the same things. Veteran presence is going to know the system, uh, plays the way that team does, is going to mesh with the people they have in place already. Uh, just on and on, right? The, Adrian Phillips just seems like a patriot, even though he's been playing at the extreme other end of the country. And he's only twenty-eight. Still got, still got plenty Turn. of years left. You're not helping. I uh, know. I was supposed to talk about this with a smile on my face. <laughs> Speaking of that Patriots system and versatility and all that, um, there's there's one role in that system that really is not versatile at all, and that's Mike Linebacker and their base package, which is usually some linebacker that's 255, 260, just pretty much only plays within the hashes, but just plugs the hell out of the run. Famously, that's been Dante Hightower forever in New England, but Detroit, who runs a very similar defense under Patricia, just signed Reggie Ragland, presumably to fill that exact same role. I think as long as he's not asked to cover at all, uh, especially, you know, against like Aaron Jones out of the backfield, if you can limit his exposure to that, I think that can work pretty well. Yeah, Ragland seems like he's really a Patricia slash Pat's D type player for exactly that role. I think he'll have a solid role in that role. And again, if they can protect him, he's not going to be the guy that's going to cover the scat back out of the backfield. He wasn't at Alabama. He's not now. He will, however, come downhill, make sure he nails his run fit, fills his gap, and doesn't let people by. He's a hammer. I I wrote Reggie up when he was coming out in the draft, and he is a fun Old school linebacker who's smart. You got to be smart to play linebacker for Nick Saban. And, you know, this sort of Nick Saban to Bill Belichick pipeline has been well documented. This is kind of a variant of that. Um, Raglan bounced around a little bit, Bills and then Chiefs. And now he ends up in Detroit. And I think he can have a sort of nice, full mid career playing that role and really lighting people up. I'm not excited to try and run against him on inside zone if the bears are you know doing that because he will fill and he will fill with force that is what he is exceptional at not to get too off topic but since we are talking about the patriots system and the lions 
Uh, did you see they signed Deron Harmon? Yep. I mean, can't, Detroit's whole free agent kind of class they put together here, you know, signing Trufant, who, again, not sure how he's going to fit with Patricia stylistically, but in terms of talent and playing man coverage, yeah, he can do that. Harmon, who a lot of Patriots fans are pissed that they let him go uh, and, and kind of get to Detroit. I think he's going to be a really solid, strong safety for them. Raglan, obviously, to be that that plugger in the middle at Mike. You still got Trey Flowers, who, coming off injury, I think had a down year in 2019. But 2018, I thought he was an excellent player. Shelton, uh, yet another Patriot transplant, you know, to play nose for them. Um, Romeo Aquara. To, to be kind of a rush guy for them, a hybrid linebacker slash edge. There's there's a lot of pieces in this defense. There's there's no Batmans, very few Robins, but like we were talking about earlier, there might be like 11 Alfreds here, and, and that can work. It's starting to look more like their profile, right? It's starting to, to really gel. They've, you know, sorted out the folks that don't fit or they don't have plans for long-term. I never would have kicked Slay out of town because I don't think I'm ever going to kick really quality cornerback talent. And Quandre Diggs still kills me. I have no idea how they let him go. Yeah, that one um, I don't get. I, I really don't get that. I don't get either one of those because they're both very talented players and they'll fit any system. Like They would work in the system as well. Now, maybe they clash with coaches. We don't know. We don't, we don't have privy to that. But this defense is really starting to look like that You know, 11 Alfreds that you've been talking about. And it seems to be more in Patricia's image, like he wants it to be, like the defenses he presided over in New England. And, you know, we saw a very comfortable coach down at the Senior Bowl, um, very comfortable staff. They get it. They know what they want. They're able to communicate that fairly clearly to their players now. I don't think they were able to do that in the first year or two. Um, Yeah, I have a feeling that, and again, give them the draft on top of this, fill in a few more holes. And the Detroit defense took a bigger step last year than a lot of people thought it would. And this year, I think it's just going to continue pointing up. I'm not looking forward to playing that defense uh, twice a year. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Patricia as a coach. Um, I'm a big fan of, of what they're building there. It, again, it's a really hard division. I I maybe overestimated them a little bit last year, but I still think the core of why I like the Lions to go ten and six, which is what I predicted they were they were going to do in twenty nineteen. I still think the core of why I thought that is there, um, and, and I think they're going to be a much tougher out than people think. So big fan of what the Lions are building. Um, there's an interesting move in Washington this week. They signed thirty seven year old Thomas Davis. To, to be, I guess, their starting line, Mike Linebacker there. But to me, what this kind of screams, again, because Davis is 37, he's had his knees, his left knee and his right knee rebuilt, I believe. But he's had three ACLs, and I think it was in two in one knee and one in the other. I can't remember exactly what it was because it's been a while since he tore it. But still, he's had his knees rebuilt. And again, with the age... I, I, this to me screams, we need to bring in a veteran mentor to help Ruben Foster. We need to bring in a mentor to maybe see if we can get the most out of John Bostic. I think if he's starting at this point in his career, they're in trouble. But Ron Rivera loves Thomas Davis. He's one of his favorite players ever. And I think they're almost kind of bringing him in to just be a player coach at this point. Which, if that's his role, I'm kind of okay with that. 
Yeah, nothing against Thomas Davis because, again, he's 30 freaking seven. He's had his knees rebuilt umpteen times. Nobody can question his production, um, his toughness, his knowledge of the system, like all that stuff's there. But he's 37 playing linebacker in the NFL. The fact that he even wants to do this, that he even wants to strap up a helmet again, is amazing in the first place. And if he can provide that role to those young linebackers, they signed Kevin Pierre-Lewis from Chicago as well. You know, Reuben Foster's coming back. Bostic, Bostic's Bostic. You know, if he can come in and be that sort of player coach role, I'm fine with it. Back up, come in, give four or five good games. I think that'd be amazing. If they signed him to start, I'm with you. They they have bigger problems than than they're letting on. Um, but you know, Thomas Davis, great player, great person. Certainly gets along with Rivera. Certainly can teach the system and the requirements to all those linebackers pretty quickly. Uh, I like it from that, but yeah, if they're same thing with Gurley, if they're looking for Thomas Davis to play extended downs in the middle of that defense, if he does, it's, it's like a miracle story. It deserves like a Hallmark channel special. Um, but you know, if he's doing the coach role, if he's doing the, you know, install the defense role, mentoring the young linebackers. Yeah, fine. Cool. But if that guy's going to play, you know, 500 snaps for you, you got some liabilities. You just brought up an excellent point that we've we brought up multiple times this episode. Not a whole lot of practice time this summer, most likely. Uh, minicamp is out the window. Uh, at least I think it's going to be out the window. For sure, rookie minicamp is going to be out the window. You need to have guys, if you're a new coaching staff, you need to have guys that already know your system that can help younger players get it faster and in a pinch maybe play significant snaps at first just because you know what the checks are um again i i think because of the lack of practice time over summer veterans more than maybe most years have a lot of value especially veterans that already know what these coaches like to do um so i think it maybe if there was going to be a lot of practice availability over summer and if this virus wasn't happening maybe davis doesn't get signed there but the reality is they're not going to get a lot of practice time. So they need guys there that, that actually know what the hell's going on. So from that standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Now there's an interesting kind of discussion over in Philly. Cause they just signed Nikhil Roby Coleman, presumably to be their new nickel. And a lot of people are saying, okay, well, what does this mean for Avante Maddox? To me, Avante Maddox has played outside corner. He's played slot. He's played free safety. I don't really think that, kind of hurts Maddox that pretend that you know his quote-unquote nickel job is getting taken by Roby Coleman I think they're doing that because they want him to be a full-time safety or a full-time boundary corner but most likely a full-time safety am I reading that right maybe uh Maddox like you said has a ton of positional flexibility he's one of those as we move more towards that quote-unquote positionless defense he's a He's a sort of precursor of that. You know, these guys that come out, I talked about with Sean uh, Sims earlier, you know, what is he? Is he a safety? Is he a corner? And, and uh, Alabama has these guys um, every year. McKinney's a guy like that this year. Um, Isaiah Simmons a guy like that where you can line them up in the slot. You line them up outside. You line them up at deep safety, strong safety. They're just, you know, it's almost like you just call them back-end players, right, that they're, you know, back half of the defense players. And Maddox can do any of those things. If I was uh, the Eagles, I would absolutely play Nicole Roby Coleman at nickel to start, and I would put Maddox behind him 
at safety. And if that doesn't work out, you know that you can flip, you know, you can flip Maddox up and maybe Roby Coleman can play a little bit of outside because he's done that as well. The Eagles needed help in the defensive backfield. They were ravaged by injuries last year. They had guys basically coming straight up from the practice squad to take starter snaps for them. They needed more firepower. They needed more help. Plus a couple of their corners are free agents and signed other places. So the Nickel Roby Coleman signing to me is a, you know, a good solid B swing to say, Hey, we needed some talent. This guy's talented. He's still out there. Um, let's bring him in. Let's plug him in. Let's see how this works. And, you know, it's not desperation. It's not scraping the bottom of the barrel. This is a talented player in the secondary who's going to help the Eagles. Yeah. The Eagles went into this off season with corner, specifically corner depth being arguably their biggest red flag. And before they even get to the draft, they have Darius Slay and Roby Coleman. So uh, well done, Howie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not bad when you're looking for two holes to fill in a tough to fill position and you fill them with players like that. <laughs> yeah. Instant, instant starters and high quality starters at that. Uh, God, as a Texans fan, I would, kill to have a, D- a GM that knows what he's doing like Howie Roseman for a great number of reasons <laughs> for a great number of reasons but uh I won't uh I won't lament the loss of DeAndre Hopkins for a third straight episode I think we've spared the listeners enough at this point um why don't we have a little chat about some of the bigger names that are left some a little bit more surprising than others who's left of the market uh, I'll kind of go through the names and, and then we'll just kind of go through one by one. Cam Newton, Jadavian Clowney, Everson Griffin, Logan Ryan, Eric Reed, Jameis Winston. Uh, some bigger than others, but all I think probably should have been signed by now if it was up to me. So we'll start with Cam Newton. There was word that he got a physical done in Atlanta, sent it out to teams. He's fully healthy. We've seen the, the video of him working out in the gym. He looks like a he looks hungry. I'll just say that. I think the natural assumption, because he's already working out with Terod Taylor, is that the Chargers are going to sign him super late. Um, and if it, I think that's probably the best fit left in terms of teams that need an immediate starter at quarterback. Is there anybody else you can even think of besides the Chargers that, that he fits as a week one starter? <clears throat> yes. Oh, oh I, okay. <laughs> I'm operating under the assumption that Ryan Pace is thoroughly has his head in the sand and is never going to get off this Nick Foles thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree with that. But, you know, if, if you're talking about stacking Nick Foles up against Cam Newton, um, look, Cam Newton is a more accomplished and better quarterback uh, if he's healthy and he surely looks healthy. That video of him working out in the gym gave me a very strong uh, I posted on Twitter a very strong Cam Revenge vibe. He he looks like he wants to prove it. And I think all professional athletes do, but let's be honest, some years are bigger than others. Contract years, uh, career revival years, which this would be for Cam. I think the Chargers are the sort of last best place for him to go in as a sort of clear number one lead of talented offense uh, that has a bunch of playmakers if they beef up that offensive line, give him a little bit more protection in the draft, uh, he can come in and make a very large difference in a place like San Diego. Um, but I think it was Ted Wen from The Athletic that said, so if Cam Newton's biggest Achilles heel is health, 
should we really be rooting for him on the Chargers, <laughs> right, with all their injury issues? And, and shout out to Ted. That was a great call out. Um, definitely made me double take about him going there. But if he wasn't to end up there and, you know, Pace took a swing at him, he becomes the unquestioned starter week one. Cam's the kind of guy that a lot of people can hate on him from the public side. If you talk to teammates, if you talk to people he's played with, if you talk to coaches, um, talk to people in the communities he's worked with, he, he's a tireless guy. He's focused. Yeah, you can call him eccentric. You can laugh about the outfits. You can do all that. But the work he's done in the community and the work he's put in on the field, like his accomplishments uh, are, they speak for themselves. And if he's healthy, He's the clear number one starter if he walks in day one in Chicago. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I absolutely do not think it's going to happen. I think they are going to roll with Nick Foles, and you know that could work out just fine. Uh, does that mean they have a quarterback, the talent of a healthy Cam behind center? No. So of the more likely scenarios, yeah, probably Chargers. That was the, the one place in musical chairs that doesn't have a new face in it. Um, I don't see them as a fit for another guy we're going to talk about on the list, Jameis. Uh, if if Cam's willing to go to San Diego, and I think he is because he's hungry and they want to use his skill set, he's basically a bigger, faster, stronger Terod Taylor with more experience um, and way more wins. So why not, right? It's just like hitting the upgrade button. Did you see that dumbass tweet that Howard Eskin put out? About Cam, I will not give that dumbass, the aforementioned dumbass tweet, any traction whatsoever on our podcast. And oh yes, my I did. god! Okay, if you're curious, go to go to my Twitter feed and and I re I retweeted out a reply to it that. <laughs> yeah, it's a much... pure troll job. <laughs> it's, oh, it's it... a pure troll job. It's just leave the trolls lie, feed the trolls, right? That there's. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever, so I'm just not even going to give it any credence. I'll just say this. Shout out to Doug Farrar. You're a wonderful human being. Yep. Doug's in my neck of the woods. He's up (laughs) in the Pacific Northwest. He and I go back and forth on Twitter every once in a while. Um, Yeah. Very, very pleasurable human being. Great writer. Um, Check out his book, uh, The Genius of Desperation. Uh, Great football book, his first that he wrote. Um, Spent some time on the bestsellers list. So, yeah. Big shout out to Doug does great work and yeah he uh rebutted that tweet quite nicely <laughs> speaking of uh pacific northwest by the way uh Jadavian Clowney still not signed um i think it's become clear he's not going to get the 20 million he wants because there's not a lot of teams that even have 20 million available that's right but i am we kind of talked about with leonard floyd earlier i am kind of looking at a coach down in miami that has some money available that really likes edge players that can stop the run mm. uh, yeah it's possible that he ends up there but it's interesting because they've already signed a bunch of edge players right they not not great edge players but they they brought in shaq lawson they, and Ogba and you know van noy who is a sort of flexible linebacker but can play edge as well um, they're sort of stacking up the position. They do have money left, and Clowney would be a big add. I don't know that they're going to go after that kind of splash. And um, between him and Everson Griffin, the next guy on our list, like there's still some firepower out there in the third wave that can get you veteran production at a premium position. It's a little bit odd that they're hanging out out there, but those guys could be late adds to teams and make a big difference in their defense. The reason why I think Clowney might end up in Miami 
even though they already have Shaq, they have Vanoy, uh, Ogba. When Flores was with the Patriots, Clowney, without a doubt, was the biggest thorn in the side of that entire New England offense because mm-hmm. what, what Romeo Cornell did was he would line up Clowney at Mike. They didn't even use him as, as an edge on third down. They put him at Mike, lined him up right over the center, and said, go attack his snap hand before he can get set. And Clowney would absolutely obliterate the pocket. And Flores saw firsthand, I think like three games in a row they did that, and it worked every time. It was a playoff game, a couple regular season games, and it made Tom Brady ex- extremely uncomfortable. And I think he's seen that work before, and I don't think Shaq Lawson can do that role as well. I don't nope. think Ogba can do that role as well. And Van Noy, I think <laughs> on, on third down, you really want Van Noy as more like an ad blitzer or coming off yep. the edge. You don't want him being mm-hmm. the guy that crushes the pocket. So yeah. I would sign Clowney to be a starting edge that crushes the run and then move him to Mike on third down. And Flores is the kind of defensive coach that likes to do that kind of stuff anyway. Like, they got the money. They could probably get him for a one-year deal. Again, Clowney's going to be looking for... Um, you know, give me a one-year deal and I'll hit the market again next year because yep. people can't give him physicals, which is a big part of the reason why he hasn't been signed because nobody can give him a physical. Um, he'll get less uh, income tax taken away from him. Like, it it kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be surprised by it. And boy, would that defense just come in waves at that oh, point. Oh, man, it would be so fun. <laughs> yeah, and I think Griffin, the next guy on our list, you know, is still very productive at 32. He's not, you know, limping or sliding into the end of his career or just looking for a payday. Like, this is a guy that, again, you're not going to put up as a base end that's going to take, you know, 800 snaps. That's not what you're going to do with him. You're going to bring him in for the right 450 snaps total over the course of the year. Again, shading most of those towards hopefully the playoff run your team's going to make, and he's going to come in. And do work. And wouldn't it be interesting if John Schneider just waits out Clowney, Clowney ends up going somewhere else, and Griffin's, <laughs> Griffin's hanging out there, and he goes, hey, Everson, you want to come up and, and play heavy end for us? <laughs> right? Because that's just exactly the kind of thing that Schneider would do. And Griffin would come in and play that sort of Cliff Avril, Bennett, like, you know, wild card role that goes big to small on the end of the Seahawks line and he could do it. He's got the frame for it. He's got the game for it. And it would be a heck of an ad to a team like that. And somebody's going to get a deal on him because he can still be productive. And Schneider's going to wait as long as humanly possible. Cause they only have 11 million in cap space. But if, mm-hmm. you, can, if you can get him for like, I don't know, seven, yep. you know, I mean, Aishon Robinson look, there's got no more money half. out there. <laughs> there's no more money out there. We've got a quarterback. We're in the hunt every year. Um, you know, Pete Carroll, a noted veterans coach, right? Loves his veterans, lets them largely run the ship. Uh, it's very attractive, you know, very attractive space to walk into. Uh, a team with a you know winning pedigree, great facilities uh, are going to treat you as a as a human and uh, as a veteran, as an adult. I, there's there's a lot worse places he could end up in the league, right? And I'm kind of looking through. 
Let's see. Do they play against Minnesota? Oh, look at that. Seattle plays against Minnesota in no. Seattle. Revenge game. Look revenge game. Hey, some veterans will sign specifically for oh, totally. revenge games. I'm not kidding totally. about that. They do it no. all the time. That was highly publicized last year, right? Like, yeah. no, no. I'm signing right here because I want them twice a year. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I love that fit. That would be perfect. Um, and Logan Ryan, I think has been like the consummate number two corner for years now. Um, I think he, he was a better player than maybe given credit for in Tennessee, which is probably why he's on this list of guys that we didn't expect to be available in terms of somebody who is really, really smart. Um, very good in zone coverage, maybe not the best man cover corner, but I think his instincts in zone and his vision in zone are really good. And Tennessee got the best out of him doing that. Um, I'm trying to think of a system where he really fits. And I kind of think Indy would, would be good for him. I don't know how much money they have. Let me look it up real quick. But in terms of like, okay, who can, can we get a smart veteran corner that can start immediately? Um, I, I kind of like that fit. Yeah, I, I put him on the list because he did he does play well in certain systems. He's got a good frame. He's uh twenty he was twenty eight last year, he'll be twenty nine this year, so he's certainly got a little bit of gas left in the tank. Um didn't have the greatest year last year in Tennessee, but a, a very good year, right? So they threw at him a hundred times, which is a lot, um, for a starting corner that had a pretty decent year. Sixty eight completions, it's a sixty six percent completion percentage. 781 yards, which is on the high side, but they had to work for it. That's a lot of completions. 11.5 yards per completion um, works out to 7.6 yards a target. Did give up five scores. Um, Overall rating only 88.7 because that low completion percentage, but gave up some, uh, let's just call them money targets. Um, Adds a little bit from the rush. Um, He blitzed 40 times off the edge. That's Vrabel being aggressive with his corners. Uh, three hurries, um, two quarterback knockdowns, four and a half sacks. So that is something, right? That's that's more than a lot of corners are going to give you. So he's a versatile guy. And just for that, it seems like somebody should have signed him by now. Um, again, not over the hill age-wise. A lot of the corners that are still out there are 32, 33, 34 years old. Um, Logan Ryan is not that. And again, the longer he waits, the less money he's going to get. But a team that again, uses him more in zone than man because I don't think he's a great press man corner, uh, is going to get a guy that can come in and start. And whether or not they need him to start, I mean, who would be upset with Logan Ryan as your number three outside corner? Well, let me ask you this, because I think Rocky Sin's going to end up being a starter for Indy this year, obviously. Um, mm, I don't I, – I wouldn't <laughs> – I wouldn't maybe put all your folding money on that one. They've been a little bit disappointed with him. I think he's got the talent to do it, but – I, I, I think they'll give him another I shot. I wouldn't pen him in. Yeah, they, I wouldn't pen him in in that role. Let's they that signed way. Xavier Rhodes for a reason, but if given the choice between Rhodes and Ryan, I just watching them last year, I probably would have gone Ryan. Yeah, Xavier Rhodes had a down year too, and again, it's uh, you. They're betting on a rebound, right? And Ryan was fairly consistent last year. I mean, an opposing passer rating of eighty-eight point seven, not. Not that bad, no. right? It's, I mean, they're, they're certainly worse. You can yeah. you can look at a lot of the corners that are still available in free agency, and that rating is 
you know, 90 something. It's 106. It's, uh, for one corner I looked up, it's 158.3. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Oh, literally that's perfect. That's a perfect passer rating. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect passer rating when they throw at him. That's that's terrible. You don't want to pay that guy. Um, so, you know, Logan Ryan did not have a terrible year. I'm not trying to say that. Um, but Xavier Rhodes had a down year for sure, and they're hoping for a rebound. That's why you sign somebody like that is to say, hey, we think that year <laughs> the is the outlier, and what you did before that was was more typical. Um, you know, we'll see. That's why they play the games on, on grass or turf, not on paper. Um, but Logan Ryan being out there at this point, again, if you look at the rest of the names and the rest of these positional bins and see the level of talent that's there generally kind of across the board, positions, offense, defense, whatever, the fact that a guy like Logan Ryan is still sitting out there at a somewhat premium position corner is surprising at this point in the process. What do you make of, A, Eric Reed? being cut loose and B Eric Reed not being immediately signed by, Oh, I don't know anybody. <laughs> Cause to yeah, me, like that's, that's kind of weird. I don't want to read between the tea leaves there. Eric Reed, uh, obviously was part of, he, he was a ardent supporter of Colin Kaepernick's, uh, kneeling to, you know, to protest social injustice and did that as well. Um, got him run out of the league, just like Kaepernick. He was able to be re-signed, which was a big deal to kind of break that barrier, bring him back in. Um, was tested mercilessly by the league um, in their drug testing program, basically harassed by any other language. And um, not terribly surprising. There's certainly teams that won't sign him because of that. I have um, advocated for him to be a signing in Chicago because I think he's a perfect fit. He's 20 years old. He's a talented guy. Had a bit of a down year in pass coverage last year, but I think that's the outlier. Was still very strong in run support. Would be a great compliment to Eddie Jackson. He's obviously going to come cheap. And people have told me over and over again, look, the McCaskies will never sign anybody who kneeled. That may be true, but I tend not to involve myself in that kind of politics because, A, I don't have any knowledge of it uh, in terms of which teams feel which way about that, nor do I really care. If I'm just looking as I do at a football player with football skills, Eric Reed should be on a team right now and he should be a starter. Like he is that level of safety. He's very smart. Um, by all accounts, a very solid guy in the locker room, not a divisive force. And on the field, he puts up numbers and they're usually really good numbers. Um, safety is not quite a premium position, not like corner, not like edge, certainly not like quarterback, but, uh, you saw it over and over again, like the NFL 100 stuff. They said, you cannot play with a dumb safety. Bill Belichick is famous for saying, I can, I can deal with a lot of things. I cannot deal with a dumb safety. And Eric Reed is not a dumb safety. He should be on a team, and I think he should be a starter. But he's not, and you can read whatever you'd like into that. I really want him to go to Houston and play with his brother. I bet you do. <laughs> Because his brother, I think, is a natural fit at free safety, and Eric mm. is a natural fit at strong safety, and I think them playing yeah. together, like not just for the cool fact that they're brothers, but just playing together from a uh, skill set standpoint, I think would be a wonderful fit. Again, Houston's not going to do it because we're stupid, but <laughs> I mean, in terms but that's of, right. If, You've sworn off watching Houston games until Bill's gone. So yeah, I'm not it. doing it. It's okay. There are plenty of other teams I can watch that are just as excruciating. Like, oh, I, I was going to say, we'll, we'll the cut Bears. your heart out in exactly the same way. <laughs> Don't even. Oh, man. 
we're we're quite the pair that way. But um, no, I think I think Reed should be on a roster. I don't think that's debatable in any statistical way. Certainly not in any monetary way at this point. What he's going to get at this point is, I think his production's far going to outweigh his contract, no matter what it is at this point in the process. So, no, I I believe I believe Eric Reed should be a starter. I'm I'm kind of going through and after we talked about Cam of like okay well where can he start week one and, and the Chargers kind of being the only logical step I'm kind of going through okay not just week one but where can Jameis Winston start period uh, yeah wherever there's an injury is the answer to that I, and that's, that's the thing that's I, I don't him. know there is one no that's it for him he's uh, that's his only road I think to starting. Uh, at this point in the league, I am not surprised by this. If you throw the ball away 30 times, you can say whatever you'd like about it. If that is not atypical for you, he has always been high on the turnovers. That is loose with the football. Um, that was who he was at four states, who he's been in the league. This is not an outlier year that we talked about. I think the league is saying, look, you've got great arm talent. You can absolutely rip it. And when you do, that's tremendous, but we don't have the offense to support you giving the other team 20 extra touches throughout the year that they wouldn't have. Um, that's too many. And so Jameis is going to have to rehab his career a little bit. He's going to have to go somewhere where he can be the solid number two, where he can, um, you know, sit and be quiet. He's not been great at that either in terms of he generally tends to end up at the center of things that are not necessarily great. And I, look, the guy has the talent to play in the league. There, there's no denying that. Um, you watch him spin the ball. Um, you know, he also threw 30 touchdowns. You don't do that by accident either. Uh, but he's got to get his turnovers under control. He's got to have a coach that has a plan for how to limit those to, to keep him from making that out. Oh, what the hell throw. And, um, that there are coaches out there, but they don't seem willing to risk it on him right now. So I don't think he's got a clear path to a starter's job at this point. Now, somebody goes down to injury, somebody retires unexpectedly, um, whatever, and they need, you know, they're a team that's built for a run and you need somebody that can play at a high level. He's going to get some calls, right? But until then, he's got to settle into, okay, I blew it. Uh, I've got to work my way back. I've got to earn it from a number two role now. Nobody's going to hand it to me. I'm not that top pick anymore. The best situation for his career that I see is signing a two-year deal in Pittsburgh. Because I think Ben Ooh. Ben might only have one more year, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think we're at that point where we're, we're in T-minus one for Ben. And to be honest, that defense is really damn good. So even if Jameis turns the ball over, like let's say Ben goes down with an injury, which is not out of the question considering the last yep. few years. I think if Jameis throws a pick, uh, I, I th- which is going to happen again, also not out of the question. Yeah. I think that defense is good enough that they can kind of protect him from himself a little bit. I think you have some weapons there for him to work with. I think Juju's good. I think Deontay has some talent. Do they need more help at receiver? Yeah, probably. Um, I, I think is it, it the perfect year for that? It is. It is. It is. And so I think you sign Jameis a as your contingency plan for when and if Ben goes down, because clearly Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph were not going to be it. 
And then if and when Ben retires after a year, then you got one more year with Jameis. You can test him out as the full-time starter after another season in the system, an actual offseason that time. Uh, potentially you're going into year two with another young receiver that you draft this year. You got Juju in year four. I, I think for Jameis to not just become a better player, but for the Steelers to potentially buy themselves an option to get out of QB hell if and when Ben leaves, um, and for Jameis to also potentially get another big deal before he turns 30, or at least around the time when he turns 30, if he has a solid 2021. For all parties, I think that can work. Again, Jameis is going to have to take a pay cut for the next couple of years, but his agent is going to have to talk him into doing that and say, look, we can get you $100 million, but you got to take like 12 now and, and, and leave it at that. You're not getting 30. Take 12 for two years and we might be able to get you a, a, a seven or eight figure contract, whatever the hell it would be, uh, in 2022. But he's he's got to come to terms with this. It's just not going to happen this year. Yeah, I agree. I actually really like that fit. And the thing I like the most about that proposed scenario is the two year deal as opposed to the one year kind of prove it deal for exactly the reasons that you said. Ben's not going to make it that much longer. He has played a very physical style of football for a great many years. And he is nearing the end of that road. He is going to take, we saw him last year, get knocked out. He's, that is, that time is coming, right? And if Jameis is ready and willing to step in and, and willing to, again, hold a couple of those throws, especially late in the game, he could have a resurgence and end up as, you know, having a very solid trial as a starter in Pittsburgh. Um, the only other one that really came to mind right off because again, somebody that's solid working with quarterbacks and, you know, has a little bit more, um, limited view of what they'll do again. It's a backup role, but what about the Rams? They don't have any money, but just in terms of McVay sitting behind golf, not, there's no question who the starter is there. A lot of talent in the skill positions. Um, and, you know, an offense that could, I think, highlight some of his strengths while hopefully uh, McVeigh, you know, pretty controlling on offense, probably wouldn't put up with much, but might be able to help Jameis limit it to here or here or out of bounds, here or here or out of bounds. He's, you know, he's he's put golf in those situations as well. Um, so I like the Steelers fit a little bit better, but. And again, the Rams don't have any money, so they're not going to be able to do it. But I could see, again, the same sort of a thing happening there where he spends a year or two with McVay, learns what he doesn't know, and, you know, could has a has a place to showcase what he can do, you know. You know who does have a little bit of money and potentially a higher chance of Jameis playing and has a guy who's known for developing quarterbacks? Mm-hmm. Philly. I was going to say, Philly, you said Pittsburgh, and I was like, what about the other Pennsylvania team? Because, uh, you know, their backup situation, famously not great. Um, again, their starter has had trouble getting through full seasons. When he's there, he's tremendously talented, was on an MVP pace. Uh, you know, we're talking about Carson Wentz, uh, but hasn't been able to finish. And that's how Nick Foles got his sort of second star turn and – um, it'd be interesting to me if they loaded up on receiver a little bit, uh, which they could do again in this draft. Um, yeah, I could see Peterson saying, okay, 
look, this is what you do well. This is what we're going to ask you to do. And this is what we are absolutely under no circumstances going to ask you to do. And I like it as well, because I was going to say Andy Reid, but I really don't think, I don't think the Chiefs are a great fit for Jameis. Um, yeah, Philly, Philly was one I was thinking of. I thought of McVay, but they don't have any money. And yeah, Philly's got some money and, and Peterson's willing to take it on. Peterson and his staff, quite frankly, are willing to take it on as a project. It could pay dividends because if Wentz can't stay in there, if it becomes, or I shouldn't say becomes, if it continues to be a trend that he misses a bunch of games every year, you need a capable arm in there. Um, the Philly offense is definitely predicated on throwing. And look, Jameis can spin it, right? There's there's things he can do and things he can't do, but he he can spin it. You get Henry Ruggs, and Jameis really likes to throw deep. I'm, I'm yeah. just saying. Just saying. Bombs away. Bombs, Bombs away. away, for sure. Uh, we're running a little bit long, so I'm going to make this last segment a little bit shorter. Um, but we did want to kind of highlight some guys lower on the totem pole or maybe lower down in terms of national attention that are still out there. Guys that we would love to take a chance on if we were a GM. Just throw a little bit of money, see what's left in the tank. Um, for me, I've got three. Uh, Marcus Hunt, Devontae Freeman, Isaiah Crowell. Freeman and Crowell kind of speak for themselves. Crowell tore his Achilles last April, so he's had a full year to recover from that. I think you can throw an extraordinarily cheap uh, contract at him. Like if you just if you have really bad running back depth, like say oh I don't know Atlanta that that needs to <laughs> fill in touches with Gurley, and Crowell does have some familiarity with Georgia. He's a he was a dog early in his career before he had to I don't know if he transferred or got dismissed from the program something like that, but both uh, <laughs> something yeah, around there. But I think you know Atlanta can kind of throw some cheap money at him and be like hey come take six or seven carries away from Todd every game and and do the most with him because. When he does get the ball, I think he's pretty talented, especially as a straight-line runner. Um, and then Freeman, speaking of Atlanta running backs, again, if he's healthy, I think he's very, very good. It's just he's struggled with health the last several years. Um, but I think he's another back that you can throw, oh, I don't know, what, probably four or five million at him at, at most. And, again, if he stays healthy, you could probably vastly outperform that contract. And then Marcus Hunt, who had a better 2018 than 2019, but you kind of finally started to see in 2018 what that talent could do. Um, he was widely regarded when he was coming out of the draft as an athletic freak, which he still is. And I think as a kind of hybrid edge player that can kick inside on third downs, I think he was better inside than outside. But again, I would throw just a little bit of money at him as my rotational uh, you know, third down defensive, like three technique that can maybe play a little bit of five technique. If I'm running more of like um, kind of hybrid fronts, uh, he would fit in Seattle as like a big end that you kick inside. Again, they don't have a whole lot of money, but if they're looking for more guys that can do that role, he fits it. So again, he's, he'll be super cheap and he's super talented and he at least flashed in the past that he can be highly productive uh, when playing that kind of you know, six or five on early downs, kick into three on passing downs. I would be totally comfortable throwing a little bit of money at him. Um, you've got a whole bunch of guys that are out that are still available that you would love to kick the tires on. And uh, I'll kind of let you kind of riff on them one after another. Sure. So on, on the offensive side of the ball, it's Jonathan Williams. I really liked him uh, coming out in the draft, went to Buffalo, ended up playing for the Colts last year, um, played in relief of Marlon Mack, and had a pretty good year. 
um, ended up uh, 49 rushes, 235 yards. Um, interesting statistic, had more yards after contact than before contact. <laughs> Um, tells you a little bit about, uh, you know, either the play calling or, or just the way he was running in that offense. Um, can offer you a little bit as a receiver, but really is more of a straight rusher. And again, not your 1A option. Uh, a lot of guys don't even know his name. And he's a guy that can come in and depending on what you've got in your stable, if you need a bigger guy that runs pretty hard and is shifty as well. Is he sat back? No, he's not. But he's solidly built, and he will get you those tough yards. And if you need a grinder, you can go get him, and you can get him for really cheap. So Williams, a guy that I would kick the tires on. On defense, kind of picked guys at every level. Jerron Reed, uh, nose tackle out of Alabama, has been playing for the Hawks for a couple of years, is still out there. Um, Not exactly sure why, whether it's a health thing and people can't give him a physical, or it's just – Seattle saying, look, we don't want to pay, a, you know, his market value somewhere up probably around 10 million a year. He's not going to get 10 million a year right now, but he's a very effective player. He came in, had some pass rush two years ago, and that kind of set everybody's expectations. Oh, this guy can this guy can crush the pocket. He was never that guy at Alabama, but he was one of the very best players against the run in all of college football. Um, excellent, excellent technique and run stopper will plug up the lanes on the inside give you a little bit of pass rush, but that first year really kind of skewed people's expectations. Anyways, probably jacked his market value up a little bit too high. And he's kind of like Clowney, another guy coming out of Seattle that's going to have to take a little bit less and look for an opportunity. But I would, you know, if I needed that kind of guy in the middle of my defense, wouldn't hesitate to sign Jaron Reed. Uh, my linebacker choice was Kamalai Correa. Guy was with Tennessee, came out of Boise State, a little bit undersized, but just one of those players that gets it done. Um, had a good year under playing under Mike Vrabel this year in Tennessee, started to show a little bit more of the talent he had at Boise State. Again, is he your number one? I hope not, but could he be a very solid number three special teams player, guy that fills in for injury and gives you a little bit of pass rush, uh, enough speed for coverage? Yeah, I like Correa for that. Again, is going to be a bargain signing at this point in free agency. And then if you need a big outside corner, because mm, I don't know, I kind of still feel like my team does. Um, I started looking at guys. Uh, Logan Ryan's probably going to pull decent size money. I looked for who was out there that had some size and had maybe a better year last year statistically um, with some targets, right? Not not 10 targets, not 20, but actually started, you know, five or six games or played in 13 or 14 games. And the two names that came up were Darkies Denard and Ross Cockrell. Um, Cockrell's bounced around. He's been in four different places. Um, Denard, you know, this is his really – first time being out in free agency both of them had pretty good years they had great size um they didn't allow great passer ratings they didn't allow a ton of touchdowns they're guys that you could bring in and run them on the outside in the competition and see if they step up or maybe they're better in your system than the systems they've been in in the past um not one a guys but could be one b or you know second options for you at the outside and those again at this point in free agency are going to be a real value so those are my guys yeah and like i think that kind of goes to show there's there's still a lot of talent out there in the so-called fourth wave i guess if you even want to call it that um both top level guys like newton and Clowney and griffin and ryan and reed and Jameis, or the maybe guys that you, you're really more taking a chance on but they're going to be dirt cheap like freeman or hunt or correa or denard 
Um, so there's still a lot of talent out there. I, I fully expect there to be a ton more signings between now and the draft, but we'll have a lot of weeks to discuss those. Um, before we get out of here, EJ, do you got any projects coming up that uh, the people should know about? I think we do. Uh, we are going to try and do a live mock draft on YouTube Live. Now, neither one of us has done anything on YouTube Live, so we're working out some technical glitches. Hopefully, it'll be on there sometime this week. We might run a little test just to see if we can get it going. But once we get this up, Brett's going to draft for the Texans. I'm going to draft for the Bears. We're going to do a full seven rounds. It's going to be interactive because on YouTube Live, if you're not familiar with the platform, uh, you as subscribers, watchers, listeners, whatever you want to consider yourself, uh, can type in your questions. We'll see them scrolling by in the chat. So we'll have feedback about guys that are going off the board, where they went off the board, who we missed, who we're really looking for. We'll tell you all of that as we go along. So it should be a pretty fun deal. We're both looking forward to it. Um, should go off sometime this week. Yeah, I, ideally, assuming uh, the world doesn't end between now and then. Yes, we will do that sometime this week. Uh, and then also on Tuesday, I've got another film room releasing, which I know it's been less than a week, but uh, I'm pumping that episode out as fast as I can. That one's going to be on, I think, EJ and I's both favorite running back to watch in this class. And that's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Will he be the first running back taken? Almost certainly not, but he's for damn sure the most fun to watch. And uh, I'm going to kind of dive into that and, and show how uh, the, he's not, not the biggest, not the fastest, but, man, he's going to be a damn good pro. So can't wait for that to come out. Again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, this is another long free agency recap episode, but we're getting back into the draft on the next show. Again, thank you for spending time with us. Really appreciate it, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>